Well, good evening, ABC College. Hope you are doing well on this Wednesday. Thanks so much for tuning in again to our series we're calling CORE, looking at essentials of Christian theology this summer. If you've been tracking with us this summer, you know we've talked about a whole bunch of things so far. Uh, we've talked about the Bible, what it is, why we can trust it. We've talked about who God is as Trinity. We've talked about God creating everything, especially creating us as human beings in His image. And we talked about how sin has really wrecked creation last week. And we talked about the depths of sin and really the bad news of the consequences of our sin. But this week, we're moving into some good news, talking about Jesus. So for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about both the person and the work of Christ, both who He is and what He's done. I think it's going to be a great thing for us to talk about, uh, especially in light of last week. But, I mean, you never can talk about Jesus enough in Christianity, right? But let me tell you a story as we get started that I think will help set us up well for tonight. So a few years ago, there was a violin player who decided to go set up shop and, and play some music in a New York City subway station one morning. So he goes and, you know, like happens a lot in New York City, he goes and he sets up in the station and he begins to play some classical music and some different pieces. And, you know, people begin to walk by, probably on their way to work. And they notice, hey, this guy's pretty good. But throughout the morning, he gets some tips, but he never really gets a, a ton of attention. You know, a few people um, who were asked about him as they walked by said, yeah, I think he's probably maybe better than the average guy that I hear on the subway. Well, uh, later that morning, it was unveiled, I think maybe through social media, that that guy was actually a guy named Joshua Bell, who is a world-renowned classical violin player. He's one of the best in the world. And not only was he playing some of the most complicated uh, Baroque music uh, in the world, he also was playing on a, I think, 300-year-old violin that cost about $3.5 million. Uh, so people would have paid hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to see that kind of performance. But they're simply walking by it on the subway. And the reason that they didn't appreciate the performance that they literally were walking by is mainly because they were too busy. Uh, they weren't really thinking much about, hey, this classical violin player is giving a world-renowned performance beside us. I just have to get to work, is all they're thinking. They didn't, they didn't stop and pay attention to what was happening. And also, they didn't really know who he was. Had they appreciated more who he was, they would have you know, given him more attention. And I think for us in the Christian faith, the same thing can be true for us in Jesus. That if we don't take time to stop and think about who Jesus really is and really what he's done, then we're really going to undervalue the beauty of Christ and really it's going to withhold and limit some of our even, even own personal worship of Christ because of the fact that we just haven't taken time to really stop and consider and meditate who he is and what he's done. So may the next two weeks for us be some great times of not just talking about theology of what Christ has done, uh, but also taking time to worship and reflect on his beauty and goodness. So with that, here's our plan for tonight. Uh, I'm going to give you one simple statement that we're going to unpack for the rest of our talk. And the statement is this, is that Jesus Christ in his person, who is he? Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. So as we talk about who Jesus is, well, that's going to be the succinct definition I give you tonight. He's fully God, fully man in one person and will be so uh, forever. So why does that matter? Well, let's break it down in three pieces. Let's talk about how Jesus is fully God, then fully man, and then how he's both those together. So let's talk about first the humanity of Jesus. A few things to think about with this. First off, 
We know this in the Christian faith. It gets talked about a lot. But Jesus, as a man, was born of a virgin. You can look at two different places in Scripture and see this. You can see Matthew 1, 18-25. You can see it in Luke 1, 34 and 35 that specifically talk about how Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And you, you know, we think about this every Christmas, maybe talking about Jesus being born of a virgin and singing songs about it. But how often have you thought, like, why does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? What, what significance does that play? Well, really, it has a much bigger role in our faith than you would think. Really, I'll give you three big implications. Number one, Jesus' virgin birth shows us that the incarnation, which is God coming in human form, shows that the incarnation and God's plan of redemption were things that no man could ever do. This is biologically impossible for any person to be born of a virgin. This doesn't work that way. And so the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin shows that this is something that, that God is coming to do. That even in our sin, we're so lost, we're so broken, that there's no way that we could ever save ourselves. God is coming to do the impossible. And he even begins this process of salvation by doing something impossible, by being born of a virgin. Another implication is also the virgin birth made possible the uniting of the full deity and the full humanity of Christ into one person. What I mean by that? Well, think about it this way. If Jesus had a physical body and descended from heaven to earth, it'd be hard to argue he was like fully human. He didn't have the normal beginning of human life being born. But if Jesus was simply born of a mother and a father, it'd be harder to recognize his divinity as being something special. But being born physically, but being born of a virgin combines this you know, divine characteristic of Jesus and his human characteristic together. And a third implication is the virgin birth makes it possible for Christ to be both born fully human, but without any inherited sin. Remember last week we talked about how sin gets passed down as this inherited disease in humanity? Well, Jesus was born without a biological father. So in a sense, we can think that he was able to kind of skip the inherited disease of the human family of sin. And it doesn't mean that men are the one that carry sin over into every generation. Women have a sinful nature just as much as men do. But in a sense, we can think that the virgin birth is Jesus being able to skip inherited sin, in a sense, to be born sinless. You know, because he was sinless and he is sinless. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But those are just three big implications that maybe you haven't considered before about why the virgin birth matters. So, number one, Jesus was born of a virgin. But number two... Jesus was also completely human. Jesus had a human body. You know, he was born and he grew up. That Luke 2.52 would tell us that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus got hungry. He got thirsty. You know, he got tired. He got sleepy. We see he was sleeping on a boat at one point because he was so exhausted. You know, Jesus had a human mind as well. Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus also grew in wisdom. That Jesus learned things. It's hard to even wrap my head around that, that God in human form could learn stuff, but he did. He learned things. Um, Hebrews 5.8 tells us that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Uh, um, there's a lot there that's a mystery to us, but he did learn things. Jesus also had a human soul and emotions. That Think about in John 12, Jesus' soul grew troubled near the time of his death when he's praying in Gethsemane, that Jesus experienced the full range of emotions. And we can see that in places like Matthew 8 and John 11. You know, Jesus has gone through the full experience of life that we have. He was not kind of floating on a cloud through existence. But 
he has experienced life like we have. You know, Jesus was even so much of an ordinary man that those who knew him when he was growing up in his hometown said that there was nothing special about him, that his hometown people actually had trouble even recon- you know, reconciling the idea that he would be the Messiah because they saw him and said, oh, he's just a nor- normal guy from Nazareth. There's nothing special uh, about him. So he appeared as a very normal person. Uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, has a great quote that I love. That He says, He, Jesus, ate, drank, slept, and waked, was weary, sad, joyous, wept, laughed, was hungry, thirsty, cold, sweated, talked, worked, and prayed. That Jesus went through the full experience of normal human life that we go through, only he didn't sin. Which is our next point, that Jesus was sinless. That Jesus was born without a sin nature, And he also listed all the temptations uh, that we face and that also he faced in his lifetime. We know that Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he never broke. That he lived over 30 years and never gave in to any temptation that he faced. He was fully human and faced all the temptations but never broke. You know, honestly, we go sometimes 30 minutes under temptation and break. Jesus went 30 years and withstood temptation which is incredible. And it shows us how Jesus, even in his life, came to be the perfect substitute for us. That he came and endured all temptation that we have failed to endure or failed to succeed under, but yet he succeeded for us so that we could have his righteousness, so that we could be viewed perfect in God's eyes. It's a beautiful thing that he was obedient for us. So, real quick, three things about why Jesus' humanity is necessary. Why is it important that Jesus was and is not just fully God, but also fully man. Well, the first we kind of just mentioned, for his representative obedience. You can look at Romans 5, 18 through 19 for this. But Jesus, in his perfect life, where he never sinned, was able to become the perfect representation to God for us on our behalf. That his perfect life, where he never broke under under temptation, was the perfect substitute for us in obedience so that we could then receive Christ's perfection and righteousness and be made right with God, be accepted back uh, into relationship with God. But also, the second implication of his humanity is that it was also necessary for Jesus to be our substitute sacrifice. You know, if he's going to be the spotless, blameless sacrifice on the cross for our sin, then he had to be perfect himself. He, he couldn't have any sin of his own that would be needed to be punished on the cross. But instead, he was the perfect blameless sacrifice for us. You can see that in Hebrews 2, 16 and 17 to talk about that. And then third, also Jesus' Jesus's humanity is necessary so that he can be our example and pattern in life. He didn't just kind of go through life in perfection for us and then we just kind of you know say, well, that's great for you, Jesus. I can never do that. But instead, although we're not going to be perfect on our own this side of eternity, Jesus has given us a great model and example of what it means to live the fullest life in submission, honor, and worship of God. We can see this in 1 John 2, 6, that Jesus is the perfect example of what obedience looks like. He can be the perfect, perfect model of how we want to live our life. So those are all, we could probably give a lot more, but those are three great reasons that his humanity is necessary. But what about the divinity of Jesus? And why does it matter that Jesus was divine and how was he divine? Well, let me give you a few thoughts. First off, think of some of just the, the names and titles that Jesus had in his life. Let me, let me give you a few. He was called Christ and Messiah in Mark 14. He was called Son of Man in Matthew 16. He was called the Suffering Servant in Matthew 12. He's called the Son of God in John 3. 
is called Lord, which is another word that's really being like God uh, in Matthew 22. And he's called the Son of Man in Matthew 26, which is also a reference to a prophecy in Daniel 7. It's actually one of Jesus' favorite titles uh, for himself. And in that list that we see there, we see all kinds of references, not just of Jesus being like the Son of God, you know, or um, you know, Lord, but even these connections to Old Testament prophecy about God coming and visiting humanity, about God coming and dwelling in human form. That we see these prophecies fulfilled, tons of prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' coming as fully God and fully man. And to even speak of Jesus as Jesus Christ means that he is the Messiah, he is the Lord, he is the Anointed One, is a special title reserved for Jesus to say that he is something special, way more than a prophet, way more than a good teacher, that he is God. So, with those titles out of the way, you know, did Jesus himself claim to be God? Some people have said before that Jesus came on earth and was a great teacher, but he never claimed to be God himself. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, let me give you a few scriptures to think about. In Matthew 13, Jesus claimed that he would send his, as in their, his to command, his angels. Or in other scriptures, they're called the angels of God. So if his angels are the angels of God, then that gives a good, good connection that Jesus is God. What about in Mark 2? Jesus claims to have authority to forgive sin, which is something that only God can do. Jesus also claimed in Matthew 25 that he would judge the world. Uh, Jesus in Mark 2 also claims the ability and authority to reinterpret the Sabbath, all things that only God can do. What about in John 10? Jesus claims to be one with the Father. Really going and reading all John 10 would be great for this, but he claims to be one with the Father. He also claims uh, that to know him, Jesus, is to know the Father. That's in John 14. And that, and here's the, my favorite one, in John 8, Jesus says that before Abraham was, I am. I am being a reference to the way that God revealed himself to Moses, that he said, my name is Yahweh, I am who I am, that Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, making a very clear claim that he is the great I am. He is God. And people tried to, the prophets, the prophets, the religious leaders tried to kill him for that claim after that because they recognized what he was saying. He was saying he is God. Also, when Jesus was on trial, he was asked if, he was the Son of God, and he responded to it, Yes, it is as you say. You can read that in Matthew 26. Even in his trial, he said, Yes, I am the Son of God, which if we do our research on what that phrase means, it means that he is God come to us in human form. If you look at the whole entirety of the New Testament, all of the New Testament writers uphold Jesus as fully God. You can look like John 1, you know, John 20, Romans 9, Titus 2, Hebrews 1, 2 Peter 1, all giving Jesus the title of being God. And not only is he claimed to be God, but also his claims of divinity are supported by his miracles, by the fact that he raised from the, he was resurrected from the dead. That's a pretty good one. Um, and his impact on history. Just consider the fact that we measure time in many ways with B.C. and A.D. that Jesus has literally become the center of history and that history has never been the same since he's been here. He's had that big of an impact on history. It makes sense that he would be fully God come to us. And also, one more supporting evidence here is we can even think about the attributes that Jesus displayed on earth that also line up that he was also God. Just think about a few. Jesus displayed that he was omnipotent in places like Matthew 8. 
Jesus displayed that he was eternal in John 8 and the way he talked about himself. Jesus displayed that he was omniscient in Mark 2. He displayed he was omnipresent in Matthew 18. He displayed he was sovereign in Mark 2. When he says, I say to you, instead of saying, thus says the Lord. And also we see in all places in Scripture, like Philippians 2, Hebrews 1, Revelation 19, that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. He is not you know, just some teacher who we can give good approval to, but no, he is worthy to be worshipped. So all that, all that said, why was Jesus' deity necessary? Well, his deity was necessary. I'll give you three specific reasons. Number one, only God could bear the infinite penalty of all the sin in the world who would believe in him in salvation. So if Jesus wasn't both fully God and fully man, then he couldn't bear the full penalty for our sin. Only God can take on the sin of all those who would believe on him. No, no man can do that. That's the first point. Second is only God himself is able to save humanity since he alone has the power that no one man, no one person can die for the sins of anybody else, let alone the sins of any who would believe, of thousands, of millions, billions of people in the world. Only God can do that. And third, only someone who was truly, fully God could be the mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us this, but Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. So it means it's necessary for him to be to both for him to be both fully God and fully man, to be that bridge between the two. If he's not fully man, he can't be the representative, uh, the representative for us before God. If he's not fully God, he can't take on the full penalty of sin for us so that we can be made righteous and holy in the eyes of God. So both those things, his humanity and his divinity, are necessary. All right, so those things said, you know, what does it mean then, and why would it matter that Jesus is not just fully God, and fully man, but he's fully God and man in one person and will be so forever. Let's talk about it for a minute. This is where it gets a little bit tricky because this is the, the complicated part where how is he both those things at one time? Well, this is a mystery. We have to remember that, but the Bible has given us some great thoughts about it and theology over time has given us a lot of great thoughts about it. Traditionally, this is called the hypostatic union. It's the union of Christ's divine nature and his human nature into one person, the hypostatic union. Uh, and there's a lot that we'll say about it in a second, but there's also some bad views of Jesus's two natures that I want to talk about for a second that I think will help us get a clearer view of what the hypostatic union is and what it's not. Okay, I'll give you three. It's three we can think about um, that are inadequate views of this union of Christ's natures. The first is one called Apollinarianism. Uh, this view would say that Jesus had a human body, but not a human mind or spirit. That's an inadequate view because he had a human mind, as we saw in the evidence earlier. He had a human spirit. He felt the full range of human emotions. Uh, he wasn't just human in body, but divine in spirit. It don't work that way. A uh, second one uh, is called Nestorianism. This one would say that there were two separate persons in Christ, a human person and a divine person. Well, that sounds kind of like some kind of bipolar thing. That's not how Jesus was. He was not two separate people in one body. He was one unified person, fully God and fully man um, as one person. And the third inadequate view is one called monophysitism. 
These are some tricky words. Uh, but it says that Jesus only had one nature, a mix of his divine and human nature, which was in itself a new nature. Well, that's also not true. Jesus had two natures in one person. He was, had a full divine nature and a fully human nature. They were not mixed together. They were separate natures in one person. If that makes your head hurt, that's okay. It's like the Trinity. There's a, some mystery here, but it's important for us to clarify those things because, like we talked about, His humanity, His human nature is very important in theology. His divinity is also very important, but they weren't mixed together because they're both necessary for our salvation. But let me give you really quickly uh, two important things about the hypostatic union to consider. Uh, first is this, is that one nature of Christ, his divine or human nature, one of his natures does some things that the other nature doesn't do. You know, Jesus' human nature obviously wasn't able to be omniscient, omnipotent, all things like that, but his divine nature was, and vice versa. So there are times that we see in the Bible Jesus' human nature doing things versus his divine nature, uh, and there's a mystery even in that how that will work. But they do have different kind of roles and things that they accomplish. And we see that in the Gospels in his life. Uh, but the second thing about the hypostatic union is that anything either nature does, the person of Christ does. We've got to be real careful to not fall into one of those inadequate views and separate out too much the natures of Jesus to make them almost two separate persons. It's like with the Trinity. If we separate the Trinity too much, we fall back into what we call triethyl tritheism, right? Where it's three different gods. So we got to be real careful not to try to separate the natures of Jesus out too much. So you don't, don't get into the practice of reading the Gospels and saying, okay, well, that's, you know, that's just completely the divine nature of Jesus happening, and that's completely the human nature. That's just not a game worth playing. Just realize he's fully divine and fully human at the same time. But you can see some of those natures at play in different roles at different times. But if you're confused, that's okay. It's a mystery. But let me give you a helpful phrase that I think is really good um, to kind of summarize this. And it's, this has been used um, in theology for ages. It's really given to us by ancient church fathers. But it says this, that when we're talking about Jesus being both divine and human, here's the phrase, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. That Jesus has always been God. That he is God, he always will be God. But when he came, in the incarnation, to earth, to be a man, to live a perfect life on earth, he added on to himself a human nature. That remaining what he was, he was fully God and he remains fully God, he became what he was not. He wasn't man, but he added on humanity to himself. He didn't change, he simply added it on. So when you look at the life of Jesus, you wonder, okay, how did he know everything and still learn stuff? You know, or how did... Um, he, how was he hungry, even though he had the ability to just make his hunger go away, you know, something like that? There's all kinds of questions we could ask. Well, the only way that's probably easy to explain it is that Jesus chose to willingly limit himself, that he willingly limited some of his divine attributes in order to fully experience the life and suffering involved in being in this world. It's pretty amazing that he would do that for us, but he willingly chose to limit some of his divine attributes while on earth so that he could fully experience life here. That Jesus, like Philippians 2 would tell us, he laid down his divine rights to live life on earth. He experienced trials, beatings, and his crucifixion. He suffered in our place to save us from our sins, and he willingly did all that for us. He laid down his divine rights for us. Is that not incredible that God would do that for us? He would come and willingly suffer 
and willingly experience the, the dirt and turmoil and pain of this world for us. That's what Jesus did. That's what the incarnation teaches us, that God loves us that much to come and endure this broken world for us. It's an incredible thing. But a few more quick thoughts, and then we'll begin to close. But why is the hypostatic union important? We talked about how the humanity and divinity of Christ is important. Why is the hypostatic union important? Well, in his very self, Jesus stands as the means and example of God uh, how God and man can be restored into a right relationship. That Jesus in himself is God and man reunited perfectly. So he's the perfect picture. He's also the perfect bridge for salvation in that way. That's the first one. Second is through Christ's sinless life and his sacrificial death, he's able to reconcile sinful men with a holy God. That Jesus being fully God, uh, he's able to forgive sin, but with him being fully man, but not sinning, he's able to be our representation for us, that he can take on sin for us to be that bridge. And the third one, implication, is that if Jesus wasn't fully man, his life and death couldn't count in our place. If he wasn't fully God, he wouldn't have the power to save us from our sin. So we're kind of just summarizing some of the stuff we've talked about so far, but do you see how it's important that he's both fully God and fully man in one person? It's incredibly key. Last thing, and we'll begin to wrap up is there's one more thing we want to talk about with Jesus and his person, is that also Christ is the image of God. We talked about this briefly two weeks ago, talking about us being made in God's image. But the Bible would say that Jesus is actually the perfect reflection of the Father. And he is the Father's perfect representation. So we're made in the image of God, but Jesus is the perfect image of God. You know, that's why Jesus can say in like John 14 that those that have seen him have seen the Father. And honestly, if you want to think about God's lordship attributes, uh, you can actually fit all of those into exactly who Jesus is. Uh, God's lordship attributes, as some theologians call them, are three things. God's authority, his presence, and control. And Jesus reflects those in his three offices that get talked about sometimes. You may have heard Christ be talked about as both prophet, priest, and king before. You can really trace that through the Bible and the Gospels of how he's prophet, priest, and king. Well, those perfectly line up with the lordship attributes of God being authoritative, his presence with us, and his control. Think about those three. Uh, think about Jesus as prophet, that Jesus speaks with authority like God, because he is God. He speaks with authority. He's the only person who can fully express God's will and thought, word, and deed. That Jesus is the perfect prophet communicating God to us because he is God and has the authority to speak as God. But also, what about Jesus being priest? That Jesus comes as the perfect priest to stand between us and God by offering the sacrifice of himself. And that represents to us God's presence with us. That God himself has built the bridge through the cross of Christ to be with us again. And Jesus himself is that great high priest, as Hebrews would say, where he offers up his life for us um, as the ultimate sacrifice for sin so that we can be reconciled to him. So he's that great high priest. And also Jesus being king. Well, that parallels with God's lordship attribute of control. Because since Jesus is fully God and man, he is the king of kings and he's lord of lords. That he created all things that he rules over all things. He holds all things together through his power, that Jesus is king, that Jesus being full of God is perfectly in control. And one day he will come again to completely eradicate and defeat sin and death and to reign as the perfect king uh, forever. He's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He's going to make all things 
new. It's a beautiful ending to God's story. So even in that, I thought that was interesting to talk about how he's the image of God and that parallels even with God's lordship attributes himself. So this gave me a lot of thoughts tonight about who Jesus is. Hopefully this has been helpful for you. Maybe even uh, help fill in some gaps in why it matters that he's fully God and fully man and what implications that has um, in our life. But if you have any questions, you can send a text to the number here on the screen, uh, and we'd love to try to answer uh, any of your questions uh, next week. But otherwise, next week we're going to talk about who, or not, we've already talked about who Jesus is. Next week we'll talk about what he has done. So we'll talk about his perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his resurrection. It's going to be some good stuff. So we we'll hope to see you next week, but we hope you guys have a great night, and we'll see you soon.